Welcome to the Trad Dads Podcast, where we examine cultural and political issues through the lens of traditional thought. All right, so today I have uh, Francis on. Francis is a uh, city-dwelling American who is going to uh, kind of give us a, uh, a view of the cities in the U.S. and kind of what the, what the issues are with cities, maybe strengths and weaknesses, um, and also uh, kind of how, you know, a, a traditionally minded Catholic person would um, sort of think about the solutions to some of the problems the cities have or, um, you know, what's the way forward. Uh, so Francis, thanks for agreeing to be on the show. I uh, appreciate you being on. Um, so, uh, I guess what, what, what are your, what's your take on kind of, uh, uh, you know, the cities we have, what, what are the important things that Catholics need to know about cities, about cities in the U S today? Uh, well, what I say, the important thing to know is that they're bad. <laughs> they're, they're not doing well at the moment and they're not doing well by pretty much every conceivable metric you can probably think of. I have some statistics pulled up just about the city I'm most familiar with, which is Philadelphia. Uh, it has the the third highest rate of STDs in the United States when accounting cities. Wow. Uh, a total of uh, 28,000, uh, give or take, STD cases, as well as the, uh, the 11th highest uh, LGBT population, the highest number of painkiller overdoses out of the entire country, the largest open air heroin market, Kensington, this made national news, I think, Kensington, like the cheapest heroin in the country, get it for something like $5 a bag, it's lack of police presence in these, neighbor, uh, neighbor, in these neighborhoods, com- incredibly under police, the police department is understaffed, underfunded, mostly due to the uh, mayor and district attorney's very incredibly anti-police sentiment, Larry Krasner basically just lets criminals walk all of the time. That's our DA lets criminals walk all the time, just despite the police. And it also oh has a, a lot of the cities have a, especially Philadelphia has a very consistent poverty issue. Uh, 25%, a little over 25%, almost a quarter of the city's population is uh, under the federal poverty line, which is the highest among the nation's large 10 largest cities. And that's the story uh, across pretty much. Uh, every urban center, especially in the north, like Yankee Land, so Detroit, Chicago, New York, these are all uh, patterns that you can extrapolate across every city. So things aren't, uh, to say the least, aren't great. <laughs> yeah, in most so, of these areas. I just want to clarify one thing. So at the beginning, you said the there's 28,000 STD cases. So you mean HIV, right? Is that what you're talking about, or? Uh, no, not a- not HIV specifically. Okay. Okay. It's uh, it. the data included gonorrhea, chlamydia, HIV, and syphilis. I believe. So the so the bad ones, basically. <laughs> yeah, the real bad ones, the ones right. that are, yeah, like permanent or well, not permanent, but very hard to cure, very contagious, transmittable. Right. And when you look at the pattern of just hypersexuality in the city, they spread like wildfire. You know, it's it's mm-hmm. kind of incredible the rate at which these infections spread. Right. So. So with all the statistics, I mean, that, you know, a lot of that is you, you can see it not just in sort of the population at large, but like the, the attitude of the politicians themselves. Like, I mean, I can imagine how frustrating that would be if you're a cop and, you know, yeah. you put somebody in jail and then like you find out, you know, two weeks later that, you know, the DA just let them off. I mean, what a nightmare, you know, it's like you're, you're, you're feeling like you're protecting 
you know, the, the people in your community or whatever, and, and then here they are back on the street. Right, and that, that's exactly the case. It has to, I think that has the, a lot to do, it's or at least made worse by the, the kind of national political cl- climate surrounding the police in general. But right. in Philadelphia, there we had a mayor, Frank Rizzo, if you've ever heard of him. He uh, was pretty, if you've ever heard of the MOVE bombings, that uh, big famous event that happened in the 70s where this black separatist group were bunkered down in a set of row homes in uh, northwest Philly and the police couldn't get them out so they dropped the firebomb on this housing block oh, of wow. what can be argued are civilians. Uh, ever since then, the Philadelphia police, and maybe in some senses rightly so, has been under a lot of scrutiny. Mm. But more recently with the new DA, it has gotten a lot, lot worse where the police – their hands have been incredibly tied behind their back. Like there's not a lot they can do about this. I mean, like right. I said, they're understaffed. Uh, there's always accusations of any ism you could think of. Uh, it's. So that's kind of like, kind of like Philadelphia is like the East coast Rodney King thing almost. Cause yeah, I, I that, never heard yeah. of that, but I'm mean, obviously Rodney King was way more recent, but, right, um, yeah. but that's still kind of back in the consciousness of, of Philly, I guess. Okay. Yeah. It was around the same, maybe not the exact same. That was Rodney King was the nineties move was the seventies, but it was in the same kind of error, I guess you could say of right, this right. growing kind of disillusionment with the, the way the police force operated. Right. So I, so, I mean, you know, it's, it's one of these things, you know, in my mind, you know, the rural areas, I mean, that we talk about divides in the U S right. And I, I lived in the South for a long time or how long time I, I lived in the South for half a decade. And, you know, there was definitely, you know, especially when I lived in Georgia, it was like, you know, Yankee, this Yankee, that, you know, and, and I mean, they called me a Yankee. Right. And, and I don't, I don't sound like Ratso Rizzo. Right. But, <laughs> but, but it's, but it's, um, you know, I, I think there's this idea that, you know, like the big divides are, you know, the Mason Dixon and then maybe like, you know, the, the West coast or something, but to me, I, and I mean, as a rural guy, you know, I think, I mean, I lived in small cities, you know, Athens is, you know, a quarter of a million, Corpus Christi is 350,000. Um, but, you know, to me, the, the biggest divide is rural versus urban. And, and, and maybe that's not, uh, you know, if we were to balkanize, if, if the U.S. completely balkanized, like officially, right, um, mm-hmm. it may not split that way. But I feel like there, the, there's a lot of tension between rural and urban areas. And of course, you know, the rural areas have their problems as well, big time. I mean, you know, you look at, I mean, the, you know, some of the biggest things that Tucker Carlson talks about, you know, on a, on an almost nightly basis is, uh, you know, meth addictions and, and overdoses and stuff like that. And, and those are certainly problems in the rural areas as well. So, but like, what, what, what do you see as, um, like the, the development of these problems. I mean, you know, I could, I could maybe tell a story about the development of the problems that rural areas have, but what would you like, what would you say kind of is the, is the, the, the driving force of, um, you know, some of these changes some of these problems in the urban areas and how, um, or, or maybe just, and again, you know, in general, right. I mean, cause obviously, you know, different things in different cities, right. San Francisco's yeah. problems or, or LA's problems are not the same as Philly's, but what, what do you think are, are, kind of, um, you know, just in general, what the, the, how we got here. Right. So if I can first go back and talk about, you brought up a good point about the, uh, the kind of the, the very traditional Yankee Dixie divide, the Mason Dixie line, but also there's also like, even within Yankee land and Dixie land, there's this urban rural divide. And I'll say that's definitely 100% the case. Like you can go anywhere in Pennsylvania. Well, 
maybe not anywhere, but most places in Pennsylvania, and we can uh, share our common Yankiness, right? Right, right. But that's about where the similarities stop between the or uh, the urban and rural, and I'd say right. even that isn't that even that's becoming less true as time goes on. I mean, you can go pretty much anywhere in Pennsylvania and you'll find a few Confederate flags. <laughs> And, right, we're, and yeah. we're solidly north of the Mason-Dixon line. Right. I would say it's probably more accurately drawn on the border of PA and New York, but even that might not be true. Yeah, um, I mean, it, like even even upstate New York is. I mean, you know, you got Confederate flags and lifted yeah. trucks, and you know. <laughs> and I, th- I think that just yeah, that just plays to the truth that it's growing. It's becoming more and more that it's a it's a rural urban divide, right. not a north uh, south divide because the the cultural differences between people in the cities and people in the country have grown so substantially right. in the past, I'd say probably only 60, maybe 70 years. You know, right. Philadelphia was voting Republican up until 1952, and I think Pittsburgh was as well. Wow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and of course, not, the Republican Party was different in 1950. I mean, right. you know, not to, Dixie not to say was all Democrat measure. back then, right? I yeah, mean, not to say that's any measure of success, but yeah. <laughs> uh, by, <laughs> right. by 19, by nine, past the 1950s, after the Charter of Home Rule, you see this solid blue block of mm. uh, mayor, mayoral uh, candidates and eventually mayors uh, ruling mm. the city. And then this cultural divide just continues to grow and grow. But that leads nicely into uh, – well, how did it get to that? How did it get from voting solidly conservative Republicans to more and more liberal and progressive Democrats? Because, again, like you said, the South was voting solidly Democrat. The Democrats we were initially voting in were the kind of what you would call blue dog nowadays. You know, right, like right. they're more focused on the the working class union issues, which was used to be very big in the city, and they've grown increasingly more to like the, the West Coast progressive types, where they're more right. concerned about the social issues and uh, like uh, people like call our current mayor. He's trying to turn Philadelphia of, into the Portland of the East coast, oh which <laughs> I wouldn't exactly call him a good metric for uh, a good standard for success. No. But, <laughs> no. <laughs> but yeah, as I alluded to before, this kind of started in, well, this, this kind of started to show its consequences in the fifties about this, this change that was going on in the cities. And it really started, I'd say probably uh, around the second world war. So uh, in, in the 1940s, most of the male population, especially the, the white male population, was in some capacity serving the country, either in the military or State Department, Department of Defense. In some capacity, most men, white men, were in the military. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, was, there was obviously a large population of black men and Hispanic and all kinds of uh, color. Everyone who makes up the country was in the military, but it was still segregated and was still overwhelmingly uh, white men. So there were these gaps in the labor force in the north for the wartime production lines okay. and the two ways the the national government sought to fill these gaps were one getting women into the workforce you know rosie the riveter and mm. the second maybe lesser known uh, way was to populate to move the population so moving rural uh, impoverished african americans from the south to the north to the cities to fill the gaps in these production lines mm. so it was the, for the first time in the 40s is the first time you start to see cities become admittedly less white. That's when you start to see this, other than the West Coast, which always had a pretty sizable Hispanic population uh, in the North. This is when you start to see uh, black population move into Detroit, Chicago, Philadelphia. Uh, New York already had Harlem, but even more so in New York. Because mm. if, if you go back, say, 50 years before 
uh, the, the 40s, when you talk about minorities in the cities, you're probably talking about some kind of Catholic ethnic group. You're talking about Irish, Italian, right. Polish, yeah. and the nature of what was a minority in the city started to really change. And after World War II, I'd say, I don't want to say this was like people in a boardroom, you know, conniving, making plans like a bunch of like yeah. Bond villains. It's not a, not a conspiracy. Yeah, <laughs> I want to say yeah. it was more uh, opportunism where they saw something that worked to eliminate a problem that they had and they ran with it. So the problem that they had were, were these strong ethno-religious blocks in the cities. So these Catholic ethnic blocks. So you had mm-hmm. a, a Polish neighborhood, an Irish neighborhood, Italian neighborhood, these people who were still very uh, clung to their ethnic and religious identity and it meant a lot to them. And because of that, they formed very powerful political blocks. They were, they exert, they were able to exert even as minorities, a lot of political influence, not over just uh, the city politics, but over the, the national politics. I mean, the Hollywood production codes mm, right. are a good example that the yeah. spearheaded by Catholics, the league of modesty, it was, it was a Catholic project. Uh, so the, the, this kind of, I guess you could say this waspy elite saw this as an issue, uh, as an issue to kind of their, the solidifying their political power over the cities. This, the ethnic problem is what they called. There was also a lot of, admittedly, racism going along. This, this going on. They saw these ethnic blocks as almost a permanent fifth column, uh, especially right. with the more uh, authoritarian, inclined European powers. You know, you have. Mm. Mussolini, who was not just very popular, admittedly, with the Italian population in Italy, but also with the Italian population in America. And this, maybe rightly so, worried the U.S. government. I mean, yeah, we never yeah. got put into internment camps, but... Yeah. <laughs> they didn't go full uh, FDR Japan on you. Right, yeah. yeah. But they still saw us as a threat. So they saw this kind of experience they had in World War II as an opportunity. So the next step of that was using federal and city policy to specifically target these neighborhoods to break up their ethnic and religious cohesion. Mm -hmm. And that was the primary tool for that was using section eight housing projects. So there's a really Uh, good book about this specifically about a Philadelphia neighborhood called Gray's Ferry called 68 to section eight. And the neighborhood in question, Grace Ferry was a very strong uh, Irish Catholic neighborhood for most of its history. Uh, one of our very famous bishops, St. John Newman, is from that neighborhood. Mm. He was the one who instituted the national parish system in Philadelphia. This uh, very famous cultural uh, center of, of this Irish-American uh, subculture, diaspora culture in the United States, over mm. the course of 30 years was completely destroyed by targeted Section 8 housing. And if you look at the statistic, statistics today, the, the neighborhood is over 90% black. It is completely the the historic the group that had been living there for the past almost hundred years in the course of thirty was completely wiped out and forced to the suburbs, and this is a pattern that you can extrapolate to every city in the north. So Chicago, Detroit, New York, this breaking up of ethnic Catholic neighborhoods through targeted housing projects. And, and I think the, I think uh, I think Jane Jacobs had some some books on stuff like that on, on the, the housing projects and, yeah. and the cultural issues that were in there. Yeah. This is a very well, this isn't even like conspiracy territory. You know, this isn't like put on our tinfoil hats and let's talk about it. This is a very well known, <laughs> right. uh, very well known issue that's happening. It's not controversial at all. Yeah. Yeah. No, this is just, <laughs> it's facts. I mean, I'd challenge you to find someone who denied this happened, but the, the reason they did this is because what this would do, it forces these people who live in the city. So solidly in the city, out to the suburbs 
And what happens, and what the suburbs are, is the most powerful tool the U.S. government has for Americanizing a population. When you move to the suburbs, you you're generally split up. Like you may be neighbors with your Irish friends and your the people you immigrated over with, right. but as soon as you move to the suburbs, you're, there's a there's immediately a disconnect from everyone you're with, right? So when you're, so when you say when you say Americanizing, you mean uh, what what do you what, what's well, another word you would use for that? I would say turning taking away your authentic identity. So let's say Irish or Italian Catholic, for example, mm, and turning okay. you into a, t- taking that away and giving you a purely consumer identity, which is uh, white American. Right. So white, uh, as we all know, as, as a lot of people would probably tell us, white American isn't really an ethnic identity. It's more of a, it's a census group, but it doesn't really mean anything. Right. Uh, it, it's, it's a conformist consumer identity. If you're a white American, you live in the suburbs, you you vote for the people who say nice things and you have barbecues with your friend Jim, right? There's nothing really solid there. There's no uh, real tradition, I'd say. So then, so uh, real quick on that, I mean, I, I don't want to get you off of your train of thought, but so, sure. I mean, I guess someone might push back and say, well, you know, my, my identity is my, my town or right. my, um, my county or maybe my state, right? I mean, mm-hmm. when, and that's a good point, when looking at like the local identity, uh, it, it, it there's something to it. I would say the idea of, of of identifying with your locality is a very old stock American uh, sort of thing. So I'd say that's a very waspy, like you know, a, a Dutch. Words, that's, Pencil- that's what they're a, going for, is what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. Right? Like, like a, a Dutch they, they Pennsylvanian. They want you to just say it's it's everybody in my town. We're yeah, all like no matter. Yeah, they might be German Protestant, I might be Italian Catholic, but listen, we're all we're all Lancastrians, right? Uh, <laughs> the reality on the ground right, is right. usually a, lo- a lot different than that. And sure, they'd like you to do that because then you might, <laughs> then those uh, German Protestant values might rub off on your uh, Catholic self. But that's, and, and they do largely, they have largely succeeded with that, with the suburbanization of the of the Catholic population in the cities and kind of forcing them out. And with forcing them out, uh, getting rid of that stubborn political problem they've had. Right. But yeah. as I was saying, yeah, the 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 localism involved with regional identity, I'd say, is actually kind of seeing an uptick again. Uh, I'd say again, this is because of the growing urban-rural divide. As people lose authentic identity and can't seem to find them back, people are kind of clinging to whatever they can find. So if you you might have been an Italian Catholic uh, 50 years ago in South Philadelphia, mm-hmm. now if the best you can get is a Pennsylvanian, it's kind of you have to take it. I mean, people do feel a natural inclination to have an identity. It's it's one of the most uh, basic needs as an in-group. So I don't exactly uh, blame people for this, allowing themselves to be whitewashed by the U.S. government. But yeah, it's it's, it's, it's just sort of. It's just sort of part of, yeah. Um, I mean, it, it's just part of the project, right? I mean, and like yeah, you it's said, a, exactly. When, it's a, it's a downstream effect of the whole of this social engineering project that mm-hmm. the U.S. government was undertaking. Right, and again, not not necessarily explicitly done. It's just it fits with. It was their a convenient ideology. solution. Yeah, it was right. a convenient solution to a problem that they had. It wasn't. It was. It was prag. It was just really ruthless pragmatism, I'd say. 
right um, more so right. and then it's, it's and, and can, it's the melting pot thing right i mean oh 100 percent, it's the melting pot i mean if if you buy into the american except like the american ideal of the melting pot putting section 8 housing in the middle of an irish catholic neighborhood probably shouldn't be an issue because they'll just all naturally integrate and you know right. identify yeah. as americans but you know mm-hmm. we all know the reality of that isn't exactly true mm-hmm. <laughs> but going back to the ruthless pragmatism of it you can see that still today because the project is still ongoing. Don't think that, yeah, sure, they've accomplished their initial goal, which was breaking Catholic power in the cities, but they, in doing that, they've encountered a new problem, which is, sure, they swapped out this very conservative Catholic population in the cities, but now they unfortunately have a very impoverished and crime-inclined population in a lot of these former ethnic neighborhoods. So the newest, uh, the newest social engineering project is something liberals complain about a lot is gentrification so you take these right. uh you take these neighborhoods that were formerly catholic section 8 housing impoverish them diversify them but then you realize great we have all this political power but the the subjects we're ruling over don't exactly have the wealth we can extract from them that we would like and they're hard to deal with they're rowdy they're not exactly docile so what do we do well we do new housing projects, but instead of Section 8, it's now luxury condos, luxury apartments. Right. Uh, very Sort of know, build the wealth kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Attract this young money from California and New York mm. to come down to the cities and re-whitify uh, the neighborhoods. The only difference is now you're basically bringing back these people who you've pushed to the suburbs, uh, Americanized them, made them lose their sense of identity, right. liberalized them, in- incredibly liberalized them, and now you're bringing them back to almost recolonize these neighborhoods just separate of their you know catholic identity so now instead of bringing back italian catholics into these neighborhoods you're bringing back people who are maybe italian maybe raised catholic but don't really identify with it they identify with you know their their consumer label you know yeah they're they're gay they're they go to school whatever it may be they're not they vote blue they vote liberal Right. Their, their identity is bound is, up. Their identity is bound up in their actions, right? It's like exactly. I'm, I'm a registered yeah. Democrat, or I'm I'm gay, or I'm, you know, I mean, any of these. I, you know, I'm a Chiefs fan, or whatever. Right? Yeah, exactly. It's like these sort of like, um, you know, these sort of strange. And 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 see, this the funny thing about this is, is like, you know, this is kind of like, you know, every once in a while you hear people say like, well, you know. Marx identified the problems correctly, but you know, he, he wouldn't, you know, his solutions were crap. I mean, so you might like the left, in other words, today would probably agree with what you're saying as far as like what's actually happening. Now they would say it's, you know, good or bad, depending on, you know, where they're at on the issue of gentrification, but you know, they, they certainly wouldn't have a problem with, you know um, you know, a bunch of lefties from San Francisco moving to, you know, uh, downtown city and, and, and civilizing them. And, you know, maybe that's the word they would use. I don't know. It's it's a real cognitive dissonance when you look at the kind of people who are doing the gentrifying and then look at the people who are yeah. against gentrification. It's generally the same population subset. You need the, these, the Spider-Man these, meme where the Spider-Man. Yeah, yeah, Spider-Man. they're they're pointing at each other. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's yeah. The, that's the crux of it is that the identity is just a conformist. It's it's whatever is mm. popular. Their their identity is the popular culture, and that is incredibly convenient for the powers that be because it means they don't really care about anything. Not anything that matters mm. to the, you know, the ruling powers. Well, and, and, and so that's, and that's so interesting too, I think, because, you know, it's, uh, as I, I was reading, um, gosh, it was, it was, I don't know, a couple of years ago now that I was reading Yoram Hazoni's book, um, uh, The Virtue of Nationalism. Mm. And, 
you know, he, he talks about like, you know, your community and your family are things you don't choose. Right. Yeah. And, and, and the way you're talking, right. Is so is your, um, your nationality or whatever. Right. So, or so is this, this group status. I don't even know what to call it. Right. I guess ethnic identity. Right. Yeah. You, you didn't, you didn't choose to be born, you know, an Italian Catholic, but that's what you are. Right. Yeah. You didn't choose your parents, but you still have responsibilities to your parents. Absolutely. You know, and so as an Italian Catholic, you have, there's something about you that makes you different from a German Protestant yeah. or whatever. And so you, you have to, um, you know, so when, when someone rips that away from you, it's, it's, in a sense, like ripping your family away from you, right? I mean, because yeah, it's one of these things that you didn't choose. And now everything is about what you chose. And, and I think that's what you're getting at with this consumer thing. It's like, oh, well, I decided to, you know, become a Chiefs fan, or I decided to, uh, you know, uh, buy a sports car, right? I mean, right. so that's what, that's what gives me identity. Yeah, well, when you, when you look at America as an empire, which it is, a nation of nations, it all makes a lot more sense, the, yeah, the actions definitely. of the ruling power. So the issue with an empire is that it is a nation of nations. And if a nation within the empire is very clung to its national identity, that's going to become a problem. And you can, in a sense, group Catholics as one big nation. We are very, used to be at least, <laughs> very clung to our Catholicism, very clung to the, the beliefs that we held. Well, what's the most effective way of breaking up a nation is convincing that people that you're not part of one, you know, convincing you that you're not that you're not in a nation, that you're all just American and that is the nation. So this again, the the point of suburbanization was to consumerize you, it was to individualize you, to make you identify with maybe your immediate family, you know, your parents, your neighbors, your neighborhood, but not with this larger nation that you're part of, which might be the Italian Catholic nation, the Irish Catholic nation, you know, the German Protestant nation, whatever it might be. Right. Right. And that makes it a lot easier to rule you. <laughs> and sure. And be because if you don't have so an in-group to identify with, uh, resisting uh, any kind of attempts of, say, uh, gun conflict, any kind of Attempts of gun confiscation, you know, mm. restrictions on your freedom, any anything you want to say. I don't want to go off into the libertarian route, <laughs> but sure. But resisting, there, but there's no, there's no cohesion, yeah. so there's no reason for exactly. anyone to, resi to resist. Yeah. And so it's like, well, you don't need a gun, and and I don't trust you anyway. All I trust is the guy with the badge. Exactly. Like, yeah. Right. And 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 even if you did want to resist, there's no one to resist with because you don't have an in group. You know. Exactly. It's, yeah. If I can credit the Mormons, you know. Right. Yeah. The in-group that you've created is just not as stable, right? It's like, you know, it's, I, it's I have my, yeah. right. I have my fellow Kansans, but I mean, you know, outside of a flag and a physical location, there's nothing. It doesn't yeah. mean much, right? Right. Cause I could like, just move. I could just move to Missouri, you know, God yeah, forbid. Exactly. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't move to Missouri. But. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. I can identify with my fellow Philadelphians. It doesn't make them any more my kinsmen. Uh, right. Than, yeah. Than does a Frenchman in Paris. You know, it's it's sure. completely artificial identification. Yeah, I, I chose. I you know, I chose to to live in. You know, I choose today to live in my location, and tomorrow I could choose differently. Yeah. And and there's nothing innate. And we about all have me. to pretend yeah. that means something. We all have to pretend yeah. that put like putting yourself in a place makes you part of that community, which it most certainly isn't true. Exactly. Uh, yeah. And I'm yeah. not saying it's impossible to be adopted into a group, but Catholicism obviously is, is universal. Anyone can be adopted into Catholicism. Right. But yeah. Yeah. And I, the know, ethnic and, route is different. Yeah. And so, I mean, you know, this Easter was my, let's see, 13th year as a Catholic. So I'm, right. I'm very, very happy of that, but you're part of the nation. 
you're right. You're right. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, but so, so I think, I think this all, you know, I think this is, I think this is good information. This is setting it up. Like what are the problems? Right. But so what do you think are kind of the, like, how do you, so how do we move on? I mean, how, how do you, I mean, do you, you know, in my mind, it's like, well, what do you do? Do you just balkanize? Like, do we make these divisions that we have, that the, that the ruling class has created for us, right? They've created these mm-hmm. place identities and it's like, well, okay, maybe the best solution is to just make all that official, right? And yeah. just mm-hmm. break up the country. I mean, and you know, you and I and many others have seen all these maps where, you know, pe- people may not be familiar with the term balkanized, but they, yeah. they've seen these maps where it's like, oh, here's the Northeast and here's the Midwest and then the West Coast. And now these are going to be different countries. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. So, so what do you think is, if that's not the solution, what do you think, what do you think the solution is? Yeah, I, I definitely don't think balkanization is the solution. I'm a, I'm a filthy unionist, you know, Lincoln Stan. <laughs> I'm a patriot. I want America as a political entity to exist because yeah. at the end of the day, I do believe it is in the best interest of everyone living within its borders right. that America right. remain as one or else we all just become Chinese puppets. Yes. <laughs> right, right, right. Mm-hmm. And okay. then I think if, you know, you go the balkanization route, we're all, we're all going to find out very quickly just how artificial these regional identities are, you know. Right. Well, maybe I mean, just look at what happened to the Balkans. and you Yeah, exactly. It, was, it didn't turn out well. <laughs> yeah. A uh, hundred years ago, New England might have meant something, but it doesn't really today. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think the, the best solution for moving on, because I do hold the opinion that the, the city is an incredibly important uh unit of political and economic organization and and this mm-hmm. is a philosophy that goes back all the way to greece ancient sure. greece with the the idea of the polis you know uh the, the citizenship it all originates out of the city into the countryside you know the city state right you have athens uh, as like yeah exactly the, the, the center right. and then and yeah it's this cultural else. center yeah. in which right. it kind of and it kind of spreads its roots right so i don't think mm-hmm. uh completely abandoning the cities is a viable strategy but right right uh a, a temporary retreat uh, taking the loss in the battle to win the greater war is probably the most pragmatic way we can go about this. So, like, what I plan to do, what I would recommend all Catholics of the same disposition to do, or any kind of uh, any dissident really on the right wing broadly. I mean, we're all kind of in this together in mm-hmm. a sense. Sure. Would be if you're living in a city, do your best to get out, uh, mm-hmm. retreat to the countryside at least for a bit, uh, try to get some breathing room because you're not going to get it uh, in, in the cities right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, once we're out there, once we're all kind of uh, out of the cities into the country, forming in real life, like real life support networks, actually networking, getting connected, right. uh, making sure we can defend each other, support each other. If worse comes to pass, the 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 Mormon or the Boer strategy, the Afrikaner strategy of right. kind of kind of forming a government in waiting slash government in exile, mm-hmm. or, or we're building our own parallel institutions to the existing ones. Right. So that in the, over the course of a few generations, we can kind of build up wealth, uh, uh, political capital, and eventually kind of start making a move back into the cities, right? So buying up property is a big one. Mm-hmm. So moving into the country, like I said, you know, uh, building up wealth, the, the parallel institutions, and once those are acquired, moving back into the city, start becoming a, a political force in the city, you know, and right. I'm not saying this is something you're going to accomplish, I'm going to accomplish, even my kids will accomplish, this is going to be a multi-generational effort, mm-hmm. uh, which is an unfortunate reality, but it's just the way things uh, move at, so, the, at the current time, but yeah. So I, I, I just wanted a couple things on this, so first of all, an observation, which I think is is what is so interesting is, you know, I, my own view is that 
as the as Trump derangement syndrome has uh, sort of infiltrated life in general, right? You've seen libertarians become more and more explicitly left wing. I mean, they've yeah, really absolutely. abandoned the right. You know, and people are saying like, "Oh, you know, Ron Paul created the alt right," and it's like, no, it's more <laughs> like it's more like libertarianism abandoned any any semblance of right wing politics yeah. whatsoever, and so these people were just homeless. Yeah. Um, but what I think is interesting is that you know what you're talking about is kind of what the um, oh, the porcupine libertarian groups like they wanted to do this in New Hampshire, right? They wanted to mm-hmm. like get everybody to move to New Hampshire you know, the, the live free or die or whatever, you know, that's their motto something like that. Yeah. Um, you know, everybody moved to New Hampshire and try to influence the politics in New Hampshire and obviously it didn't work. And again, probably didn't work because again, you know, libertarians, no cohesion, right. They don't understand. Yeah, exactly. They don't understand this, this, you know, unchosen family obligation perspective mm-hmm. at all. Right. They think right. it's evil in fact. Yeah. Um, so I think it's interesting that, you know, probably the group we would get the most pushback from, right. Which would be libertarians and like Bill Crystal types. Right. Yeah. Well, this is explicitly what they're trying to do. Right. Or at least some of them have tried to do it. Yeah. The other thing I was going to ask, so is, is just to clarify and you kind of alluded to it there at the end, but is the, the, the time frame for this, right. I mean, so it's, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're, we're often treated uh, on the internet and, and other places to this idea that like, well, you, you know, you can't just give up the cities, right. Stop counter signaling right. the cities, stop talking negatively about cities, blah, 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 because you know, we can't lose the cities. And yeah. it's like, okay, well, you know, I'm just me. Right. I don't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so you talked about like, you know, not even our children. So, you know, and, and I, I actually, <laughs> I, uh, I actually copied something you said in a, in a previous conversation where it was keep ourselves pure and then an arrow regroup in the countryside and yeah. then amass yeah, as much wealth yeah, as we can yeah. and then buy up land and property in the cities and then influence urban politics. Yes. And, and you and I had a discussion about this before, which is kind of what led to this conversation that we're having now was, mm. you know, okay, well, what's the time frame for that? Right. And so when we talk about that time frame, in my opinion, right, it, it, it influences what, what we ought to be doing in real life and on the internet yeah. right now. Right. Which is if we're in, if we're in keep ourselves pure and regret and what we mean by keep ourselves pure, right. Is, is, you know, the, develop those, develop the, you know, don't, don't let your kids become, you know, these, um, uh, I don't know. Just don't let your kids rid- be Americanized, you know, make sure yeah. that you're firmly Catholic. You, if you have some right. kind of ethnic identity, cling to it, you know, right. like I'm going right. to make sure my kids understand their Italianness. you know, right. they're going right. to understand their Catholicity, you know, they're, they're going to have this identity. It's very important to train right. the next generation. Because it's going to be up to them at the end of the day. And see, so it's I mean, very I think that's, important that your kids are on board. Right. So just as an aside, I mean, I think that's one of the big challenges outside of the Northeast, right? So like in the Northeast, yep. like everybody is, you know, like your whole family going back five generations is all Italian or, Absolutely. you know, whatever. But like <laughs> yeah. where I'm from, I mean, good grief. Like, I mean, I'm uh, English, German, and I supposedly a little bit Native American. Um, yeah you know, and, and all of these different groups and my wife, you know, my wife is Austrian and English and, mm-hmm. and it's like, so my kid, you know, I don't, I can't, you know, I, I don't know, I guess to me, Ratso Rizzo doesn't mean anything that, you know what I mean? Like you right. know, that, that whole, you know, the, the Gabagool thing, you know, you guys have, <laughs> right. I would just yeah, call it Capicola, but Gabagool. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's incredibly, and I don't know what Capicola is. I've never had of it. Never had it. Don't know anything about it. <laughs> but, but it's like, it's, it's almost like I, I'm, I'm forced to, 
you know, pick something else, right? And so it's yeah, like, I completely I pick, understand what you mean. Yeah, you, do you, I pick like the the hillbilly redneck thing? Do I you know <laughs> do I um you know is, is it, it just you know Kansas you know ad astra per aspera or you know yeah. what, I mean so there, there's a huge challenge there with with this because I mean but obviously you know the biggest thing is just Catholic, right? I mean that's Catholic, the yeah. most important right. um, it, it, when we're talking about keep ourselves pure, right? Well, I want my kids to grow up as Catholics, right? I mean that's yeah. that's the point. Yeah, when I say keep yourselves pure, I don't want people to think I mean racially pure. We're yeah, not weaknesses. Right, I don't. Yeah. I don't care about. Uh, to an extent, I don't care about racial pure. I do think ethnic identity is something important. But in America, you kind of have to take the best. Like you, like you're saying, most of us, even I'm mixed. You know, I, I I'm mostly Italian, but I do have a little bit of German in me. Like I'm mixed. Most most white Americans are mixed to an extent. Right. So this is where, and th- this was largely, and it wasn't always that way. This is kind of a victory of the social engineers. Yeah. And th- their strategy works perfect. It's ruthlessly efficient, right? Uh, as evidenced by this great white diaspora that exists. So well, Catholicism and, and, and is very not, important. But, yeah. And it's not necessarily. I mean, it, it's also not new, right? Like my last yeah, name. Definitely. My last name is Russell, right? So my last name is a uh, is 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 classified as Anglo-Norman. Right? Yeah. So yeah. I'm already, you know, like <laughs> from yeah. from the get go, I'm already, you know, uh, uh, you know slab you know a uh, 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 this and that kind of thing but yeah right. so like you're saying is you know it, it, find yourself a good parish or or you know uh, yeah, uh, influence definitely. your parish uh you know it, as we're regrouping in the countryside you know build the catholic uh perspective and the catholic identity into your kids mm-hmm. so when you're when you're talking about these other steps in the process the, this process you're talking about three four generations of time right Possibly even more. I mean, if you look at the, like the the Afrikaners have been doing it since the Great Trek, you know, in the 1800s. The Mormons have been doing it since their run to Utah. Right. This this is a, a very long long term thing, and I'm like ideally, I think we can start regaining influence within three or four generations. But this might be something we're in for the long haul. You know, right. this might be a a century. You know, of sure. of of consolidating and kind of trying to figure things out and so to me it strikes me as very important then like as this uh, you know if we're if we're trying to you know we're doing this regrouping step you know if we're trying to build this catholic perspective into our kids well then you know praising praising the cities as they are is not going to be a good thing to do right because then your kids are going to get the wrong impression right and Mm -hmm. and they may you know some of our children might screw up the process right Mm -hmm. i mean and, and, and I think this is also, I think, where the, uh, the current, I guess I don't want to say the name of it, but uh, SARS-2, right, Electric Boogie. Yeah, yeah, sure. Like it, it, has, it has really, I think, because, you know, as an economist, right, I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, the cities and, and agglomeration economies, right? Like that's, right. that's what we talk about when we talk about cities, right? It's like mm-hmm. it's good to have everybody in a, in a tight space from yeah. an economic perspective, right? But yes. now it's like – and I can remember I had a professor uh, in, in my PhD program. I took, I, I had to take an elective and uh, in, in the econ department, not in the ag econ department, in the econ department. And so I took urban and regional economics and this guy mm-hmm. he was super, super old, right? I mean, he was born in like 1915, really old. Wow. And uh, maybe not quite that long ago, but anyway, like he was certainly my grandparents age or older. He was right? up there though. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. He's like, he, he didn't type his own papers. He hand wrote them and then the secretary for the department <laughs> typed them for him. So. I actually like that. No, yeah, I respect yeah. that. That's very classic. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. yeah he's a very classic guy, but, <laughs> yeah. but he, you know, we were, you know, this was like 2012. 
mm-hmm. right? And we're, you know, like, well, you know, there's all these, um, there's all this, uh, this, you know, software that makes it so people can kind of video conference and stuff. And, you know, so the question from someone in the class was, well, you know, don't you think this is going to kind of make these agglomeration economies kind of shrink a little bit? Like it's not as important, right? If you have yeah. video conferencing, he's like, oh no, that's not going to happen. And it's like, yeah, but it, it kind of is. And especially when you have a, when you have a, this huge impetus, right? The SARS-2 thing, when you have this huge event that just so obvious to anyone who's paying attention, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, having people living right on top of each other and getting in a giant metal tube every day um, makes this, you know, this is a risk, that, a very serious risk to them, right? A respiratory right. illness is a huge, I mean, this is, you know, just from an ag perspective, right? I mean, this is part of the reason why birds have such problems with respiratory illnesses, right? Because of the way we keep them. Yeah, but, yeah. <clears throat> and so, you know, I, I almost wonder if we're going to be thinking about these agglomeration economies differently and we're not going to see as much of a flight to the cities as we have. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I'm not saying it's going to like, I'm not going to say it's going to shift and like, you know, 40% of the people in the cities are going to just flee out to the most remote areas possible. I mean, what I'm, what I'm thinking is it's going to slow the urbanization down a little bit. Um, so very small effect, but, yeah. So something that I think is positive given, you know, given what you're talking about. Yeah, I th- I think I would agree or may- maybe go beyond what you're saying and, and say that the kung flu flu uh, the kung fu flu has been probably <laughs> one of the best things that has happened. It, like a double-edged sword to right. the reactionary right in in a while. Sure. In the sense that it's going to push into the popular conscience uh that uh, the cities are kind of bad right now. You don't mm. want to be in one. Yeah. Uh, and that's good for us because it gets our, our, it kind of shifts the Overton window in our direction, but it has the effect of, well, people who don't necessarily agree with us uh, on other issues might agree with that. Right. And you kind of see this already happening with the, the ongoing colonization by California of Texas and Colorado. Right. Right. With these people yeah. who are fleeing these urban centers because of how yeah. bad they are into these nice big open spaces yeah. but bringing their their shitty yeah. politics with them to the to right? the extent that austin is a nice big open space but yeah i mean I, yeah well it's, you know, it's yeah, all frame right. of reference right i mean yeah. compared to los angeles yeah, yeah it must be like a ranch <laughs> yeah well so I, I i had one last question for you my my kid is freaking out for some reason sure uh, but uh, i'm sure you can hear him but um yeah. i'll try to get the directionality better so the um the last question i had for you so you know the libertarians tried and failed i think to colonize new hampshire um mm-hmm. You know, where, where are we all, all the Catholics going to meet up in real life? Like, where, where are we going? Are we going to the southern hills of Missouri? Are we going to uh, uh, Appalachia? Are we all going to meet up and, like, try to take over an entire state? Like, uh, I mean, I don't even know what state we would try to take over. Um, certainly wouldn't take over, like, Utah. I mean, who, who picks no. Utah, right? I mean, like, it's yeah. like a desert. You know, it's yeah. a cold <laughs> desert. Why would you pick that? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I, I definitely wouldn't <laughs> pick Utah, certainly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's... That's a good question. And I think given the stage that we're in right now, I think we're still at the, you know, keep ourselves pure, you know, um, right, make so we're, sure trying we're, to, we're trying to figure out where we're going to regroup. I, th- I think we're still in the process of figuring out where we're all going to plant roots. Uh, I, I know I don't want to I don't want to speak too much. I want to keep a little mystique here. But I knew I do know some people who are planning uh, on, on buying like large properties in the Midwest mm. and moving people of of like-minded disp- uh, dispositions to it to form these kind of 
little villages, you can say, right? These yeah. little communities right. of, I mean, I, I think the best example, and I'm, I'm pretty sure you, you heard me maybe joke about it, of this already is St. Mary's in, uh, in Kansas, yeah. Yeah. right? The SSPX. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're doing what I want us to do. Yeah. Uh, they, they've all, you know, conglomerated around this parish. They're all like-minded. Yeah. I've heard if you go into the city, everyone is Catholic. Everything is owned by Catholics. Everyone goes to the same church. Yeah. This, that's the, the St. Mary's model, I think, is a good model for, all, for and, us to all follow. And what's hilarious is several years ago, you know, they, this, there was this map, of, this county-level map of the U.S. where it had like, showed like the majority religion or the majority Christian denomination. And Kansas is basically like no majority in most of the state, except right there. There's a three county area in North central Kansas. It's all Catholic. And that's St. Mary's. I assume. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. And, and, and the thing is too, that, that St. Mary's has going for it is there's a massive military base in the area where the big mm-hmm. red one sits. Yeah. And there's oh. also, and there's also my alma mater, a, a university there uh, close by. Well, so. I think I found the place for you, Levi. I think you're going to be really excited about it. <laughs> it's your alma mater, military base, and a bunch of traditionally minded Catholics. It sounds great. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. Maybe I'll move up to state college. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. Well, and so the last thing I wanted to say before before we go is, um, you know, we're talking about Italians and and the fact that you're from Pennsylvania and stuff. So yeah. in in Kansas, you'll love this. In Kansas, okay. in southeast Kansas, very near where I grew up, there's a town called Pittsburgh. But oh. uh, without the H, okay. So it's Pittsburgh without the H. Okay. And uh, there is a massive population of Italians there. Is like, there? Yes. To the point where, like, the jokes are that, like, if you get a job working for the city, like, I had a buddy who was um, a teacher. He was a wrestling coach, and uh-huh. he said, "So there's like this tiny little town right next to it where all the Italians live," and he's like, "I could have driven down Main Street going 80 miles an hour, and no one would have bothered me." because I was the wrestling coach and all of the Italians liked me because all their kids were wrestlers. Right. (laughs) That's seeing, you know, out of all places for an Italian diaspora to exist, I wouldn't think Kansas is one of them in little Pittsburgh or something. Supposedly there is some kind of like, you know, and again, I don't know if it's just like an old wives tale or whatever, but supposedly there was some kind of mafia like retreat to this little town and and there's a there's a sizable population of Italians there. St. <laughs> Louis is that in that area, or am I is my geography all messed up? Is that yeah? So St. Louis is in Kansas um, City, right? Yeah, I mean Kansas City is the KC too, Mafia is uh, that might have something to do with it. Yeah, th- maybe this, they got this might have been, <laughs> Yeah, this might have been there. Well, I mean it's two hours away from Kansas City, right, but yeah. but you know it's it might have been like a retreat location or something for Possibly. them. Possibly, yeah, yeah. It's like Argentina <laughs> for the Nazis or something. It's. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> this is like the first episode of the show, and when. when uh, uh, like the other two people on the call were uh, favorably mentioning Ted. And I was just like, oh, oh, guys, come on. Listen, I hate the Nazis, okay? <laughs> Don't believe me. Nobody hates the Nazis more than I do, all right? Of it's course. It's purely a joke. It's yeah, just yeah. a joke. Of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm just, yeah. <laughs> just want to put that disclaimer out there. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Well, I, I, <laughs> hey, I appreciate your time, Francis. And I think this is going to be one of my best episodes. And so I really appreciate you coming on and talking through all this stuff with me. So. Um, Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. It was a great time. Appreciate it. Have a good one. Yeah, you too. Thanks for listening to the Trad Dads podcast. If you enjoyed our show, please subscribe on your favorite podcast app and consider giving us a five-star rating on iTunes. It really helps us out.